0: Here's a tough fact of modern life. The market fails some people. And if conventional business in the conventional market doesn't work for certain people, well, what does? These are exactly the kinds of questions Nick Verginis grapples with every day. He's got small business in his blood. Each of his grandparents ran small businesses after coming to Australia from Greece, and they used those businesses to sponsor other families coming to Australia. Now, as the CEO of Senvic... He's applying the same philosophy on a much larger scale, and pushing for Australia to reconsider how we think about business. I'm Craig Foster, and this is Getting It Right, the show about hiring, buying, and working with purpose.
1: My name is Nick Verginnis. I'm the CEO of Social Enterprise Network Victoria, or CENVIC, uh, and I've I'm the inaugural CEO of
0: Senvik. We're relatively young, uh, been in that role three years. Thanks for joining us, Nick. Lovely to talk to you, doing really important work. Could we just start, please, with an understanding of Senvik? It was established in 2018 and what what this network does. Yeah, so CENVIC is... um a network of
1: social enterprises so it started with nine pioneers of the sector who said we need to have a network that social enterprise needs its own space to gather. Um, and since then uh, we have uh, through um, securing some support for that idea we've expanded to over 800 members um, and that includes social enterprises but also those organizations and government that that want to see this sector grow and thrive um, and so what we focus on one of three things. Connect, develop and influence. So it's about connection. It's about developing the sector and growing it and scaling it. And finally, it's about influencing. And I suppose the way I see it is all roads lead to influence. We want to see transformational change about how we understand business, how we understand government. Um, and you know we see our,
0: our uh, organisations as that way forward. And it seems as though you're in the perfect position at the right time because of your own family history. If we go back a little bit, long history of small business dating way back to your grandparents. Tell us about it. Yeah,
1: great. Um, yeah, I think social enterprise is a new word, uh, for a very old idea. Um, and, and even older than just my own history. I think when I look to indigenous businesses and self-determination, uh, I think our First Nations people have been practicing, uh, inclusive business, regenerative business, one that's in, in sync with the environment and the planet. Uh, that is the kind of economy we want to create. And um, I think there's been many examples in our past, but I suppose for, for myself, um, you know, I think, so I'm a Greek Australian, uh, and I think like most migrants and, and people who've sought refuge in Australia, they have looked after each other first. Uh, so when they've started, you know, whether it's the, you know, the Greek milk bar, um, or in my case, my family had a cafe, uh, it was about bringing the community together and employing each other um, and helping to sponsor other family to come over to this country. Uh, So, you know, very much I think the Australian story, particularly the Melbourne story, is that kind of cultural strength through trade, through business. And uh, it's a funny thing in coming to this role. It was really just looking back on my own past and going, oh yeah, I, I, I remember going to the Greek clubs probably before I could even walk, uh, and being in uh, you know the pram beside the table where uh, you know the, the local Greek club would have their Greek food and Greek culture celebrated, and that was like a, a weekly activity that um, you wouldn't have thought it's a social enterprise, but it is that. It's a, it's a restaurant, it's a nightclub, uh, it's practicing culture. And, uh, you know, I think it's wonderful to see the waves of migrants really that have done that in this country and it's helped them preserve who they are, and, but also get a foothold in a, in a new land.
0: So why do you think with your own personal uh, and family experience that these types of uh, forms of business take root, particularly in migrant communities? I think it goes to. It is. It
1: is a challenge in a new land. Um, Language is a barrier. So, um, you know, I think having your own community who can perhaps be that um, that translator for you in the new country, uh, but also there's a lot of discrimination. So, I you know, I, I experienced that myself, and and you know, I'm a second generation Greek Australian. My father talks, you know, in sometimes quite bitterly about those early days uh, when he couldn't speak English in the schoolyard, and um, it's the reality, I think of you know, this, um, uh, I, I think it's the, just the reality of Australia. There are homes where English is not the first language and that means that you know, there are many, many Australians who live in two worlds and one is that home where they might speak a different language and then they go out and they have to be accepted and, and find connection. And And I think the workplace has been one of those greatest struggles to find inclusion. Uh, so that's why I think, you know, the idea of self-determination and, and looking after your own has, has been a, a great way to help uh, new communities establish here.
0: So can you tell us about some of the best examples that you've seen in your work uh, as CEO of Senvic, some of the communities that have particularly benefited from social enterprises?
1: Yeah, that, that, look, there's, there's countless. Um, and I think one of the Best ones that I love to talk about is game traffic and contracting, who operate in central Victoria. When you drive on the Hume Highway through central Victoria, you might see some green pyramid signs, uh, and game is all that's written on there. And behind that organization, that looks just like any other corporate. Uh, is actually a solution to intergenerational poverty. Uh, So in Shepparton, in Wangaratta, in central parts of Victoria where there's high levels of discrimination and um, disadvantage uh, and large uh, First Nations populations, what you have there is employment opportunities for people who perhaps have never had their first chance. So this is work in terms of traffic management but also um, landscaping, event management. They do a variety of things and the profits from that company then go into wraparound support to help at-risk kids get through high school. So you're not only employing people who perhaps have not had a a good chance, you're using the profits from the success of that business to help kids who perhaps wouldn't be completing high school if they didn't have um, the counselling or additional curriculum support to get them through and to stay on the course.
0: What strikes me about that example is that it's in contrast to what most people might think of a social enterprise, an inner city cafe or design business, for example. Are we seeing more social enterprises in regional areas? I think what's really fascinating about regional areas is
1: it's, again, that idea of, um, I suppose, in regional areas where the market and government perhaps just doesn't have the reach. Um, Services, shops can close. Um, uh, I think um, in regional communities, social enterprises are shown actually creating the greatest value uh, because they can really harness social capital to say, look, a for-profit business couldn't succeed in that location, but maybe what we could do is band together and open those doors again. So I think the Yakindanda General Store is a great example of a petrol station that couldn't be maintained by a mainstream company. Uh, but the local said, oh, well, we need petrol because um, that service is essential to us and it's too far to the next Uh, major uh, town or petrol station and so they formed a cooperative to open that store and to have some policies around employing local people for that so they created job opportunities they reinvested uh, the profits from that business from the petrol station into a general store and they made that general store have all the products that that community needs so it's a fascinating way of um, you know Realigning, let's say, a for-profit business which, you know, has its own trajectory and motivations to one that's community-oriented and listening. Um, and it just makes complete sense, isn't it, to you know, sort of listen to your own market uh, and create the kind of business that they want. Um, and, uh, yeah, that that's a great example from regional Victoria.
0: You've seen a new style of tourism emerging from regional areas as well. Can you tell us a bit about regenerative tourism?
1: Regenerative tourism is certainly an idea whose time has come. Um, In Victoria, it's very powerful because we know people are flying less uh, and they're uh, visiting places within their five kilometres, but even now, uh, you know, within within the country. And what regenerative tourism is all about is not just talking about sustainable or eco-friendly, any of those kinds of terms that, we know get used in marketing pretty easily. Uh, regenerative tourism is moving beyond do no harm to actually, uh, take your role as a tourist to make a positive contribution to the, to the place that you're visiting. Uh, there's a very traditional approach to tourism that you take the first world, uh, and you impose it. Uh, you build the resort, um, in the third world. And we now, I think there's a number of movements converging right now to say uh, we need, we're need we a bit more conscious of our footprint. Um, we're a bit more aware of the needs of the areas that we visit. Uh, we certainly, I think, more sensitive to the beauty of nature. You know, that's another sort of great thing that's come out of the pause that COVID created was that real valuing of of nature and our surrounds. And so that's what regenerative travel brings together that, that sense of really respecting
0: the strengths of the people and the place that you're visiting. Well, of course, tourism is a hugely important industry and factor in many regional communities. Quite a few of those have been um, stricken by environmental disaster and the like, and of course, the, the recent pandemic and their local economy and so on. How does this type of regenerative tourism business work uh, rise to these challenges
1: i think um they they are rising to the challenge first by actually connecting and saying we've got a we've got some shared problems and some shared opportunities and uh through covid uh in Victoria, the uh, Gippsland Social Enterprise Collective emerged. So we we had a model in Senvik where we want local champions across the state and across the city. Uh, and this year we've just, um, you know, got all the pieces in and got all the places together. But Gippsland Social Enterprise Collective uh, started about two years ago, early in the pandemic. And they went really deeply into talking about what is their, what does that region need. Uh, it was also on the back of, uh, you know, the black uh, black summer bushfires. And, you know, I think when you look at Gippsland, uh, they're ahead of the curve because um, they've also had Latrobe Valley kind of um, shift from a coal-oriented economy and then the bushfires. So they've just had crisis after crisis. And that kind of, um, you know, that triggers some real deep thinking about, well, what is the future? Uh, and... What's emerged, like a one shining light, and there are many, but one is uh, the Wayfarer Cooperative. Uh, This is an amazing platform that uh, has only just finished a pilot, uh, and I'll hope to expand soon. And essentially what it is, it takes what we all know as Airbnb, a very convenient way to find accommodation, uh, and they are turning that into a cooperative that benefits the community you're visiting. So instead of $150 million of profits going overseas to a multinational, what we're seeing is that money is a platform that would make that money get reinvested in the community you're in. And the consumer even gets to nominate what type of activities they want it to go towards. So is it about the people? Is it about the environment? You get to indicate your preferences. And um You know, it's just started. It's going to take quite a bit of time to disrupt uh, Airbnb because it now seems that half the Mornington Peninsula is on Airbnb. (laughs) Um, You know, and that's what you have. You've got these pockets of um, a holiday visitor economy that's there and waiting. Uh, And at the moment, it's just unfortunate that the platforms are not benefiting the local community. And and Wayfarer is just one aspect. The other bit of it is... um, actually engaging the community on what the tourism experience is. So accommodation is one bit, but also in the same way, Airbnb, and and I'll admit as a user of Airbnb, it's nice to connect with the owners and to hear something from them. And that can go a bit further with the local community through Wayfarer, where they can suggest uh, other things that you might do while you're there. So the whole experience of the visitor economy becomes one that is very much about the community you're in. Uh, It's uh, respectful and supporting the environment Environment as well and encouraging you to engage with the natural beauty because that is our strength of, of this country uh, and of course also it's the stories of First Nations and experiencing that culture so that kind of... Um, bringing together is, is really a powerhouse, I think, a powerhouse of an idea that um, we're confident with, say, um, the Commonwealth Games and the, you know, the focus on tourism that will go with that over the next few years. We're really hoping to take it from Gippsland right across the state and hopefully across the country. How important is measuring the impact that these social enterprises make? Measuring impact is absolutely critical to us, you know, having legitimacy and saying we're different. So what we want to do is um, share ways of doing that as much as possible. Uh, We're part of a project right now with Swinburne University and Melbourne University uh, and a number of other stakeholders to build like an independent model that we can stand by and really, um, I suppose, provide advice and frameworks for new social enterprises who are wanting to improve their impact story. But you know, this is all about confidence and credibility as well and trust. Uh, there, there's, you know, the biggest risk I think with things like the SDGs and that movement towards um, looking to do better is that we only look like we're doing better rather than actually making an impact. So the biggest risk to us is the social washing or greenwashing um, that that you know I think many of us who are a bit cynical have have seen. Uh, so having reliable evidence-based impact is vital to uh, keeping people's trust and confidence that we're making a difference when
0: they buy from a social enterprise. What is it uh, that the Victorian government, the state government, does in this regard in relation to incentives? How is it that you're saying to the marketplace, you know, we want to see more of these social enterprises? The Victorian government um, have
1: been world leaders in in this work. Uh, we are immensely fortunate in Victoria that they've got that vision and they understand that um, the market fails some people and that the government needs to send some signals to correct that. So supporting CENVIC in its uh, growth has been a really important part. Um, The programs that uh, Jobs Victoria have done, so they have created some wage subsidies to really encourage employment of people who... um, uh, so I suppose to address some of the exacerbated disadvantages that we saw during COVID, uh, for example, women over 45 years of age struggled to um, get full-time work, even um, good part-time work, uh, as well as um, First Nations, people with disability, uh, those priority groups are not helped by the market process operating as its own. So the government created subsidies to create incentives there. And we th- we saw a, that was a great program that I uh, wish could continue, uh, but uh, it did wrap up quite recently. Uh, those signals plus social procurement framework is, is really one of those world leaders. Um, and that's within the Victorian social enterprise strategy. So the Victorian government, received a a global award this year in their contribution towards uh, encouraging business to align with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So these SDGs, as they call them, uh, they are really the future with how the conversation will go with how do we make the planet safe and sustainable? How do we have inclusive growth moving forward? And that global movement is one that I think we'll see picked up in business uh, moving forward. But to have Victoria recognised already as leading that, it means that you know we do have the right uh, – we have the North Star in place. Um, and so now it's about really activating the Victorian Social Enterprise Strategy and the Social Procurement
0: Framework. That's really the priority um, in these next few years. So exciting! The 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 concept of a so- social enterprise really essentially should be every business on the planet. So you're certainly heading in the right direction. One of the biggest enablers of uh, doing social good through business is is of course government. You have the social procurement framework for big businesses and government contracts. Is that up to the task?
1: Yeah, I think um, it it is. It's certainly the North Star. So the Social Procurement Framework has given us what we need and we've had it for a few years now. Uh, it's currently being reviewed and I, and I think um, the framework is good. It's about the implementation and what we do next. It's, there's very clear drive and calls from the community to say it really needs to be beyond best endeavours to buy from social enterprise. Um, we know that in major construction uh, that lots of social enterprises provide their letters of support. They seem to be part of the pitch that gets secures the tender but then um, they get left off from the real benefits. So putting some firmer commitments and requirements probably some obligations around buying from social enterprise uh, would be really key in those big contracts. Um, also expanding the reach of the framework. It, it, it doesn't Really have much of an impact with local government, who we know are really committed to buying local and buying social. Uh, so I think firming that up with the social procurement, you know, that would be a, a vital part of the next step and expanding beyond local government. I think uh, where taxpayers' money is going into public organisations, there should be um, you know some some targets about where social procurement spend should reach. And uh, so following the money like that is is really important next step. And look, there's more Senvic can do too, I think. We can um, help to grow the market where there is interest to do social
0: procurement. Well, I really love where you're going and the fact that you're challenging the very concept of the corporate world and and what a business is and what it does and how it contributes – Thank you for your time, Nick. If I can give you the last word then, um, speak to Australia, speak to other state governments, speak to broader society and explain to them in your role as CEO of CENVIC as to why social enterprises are so important to the future social fabric and community resilience of Australia.
1: So for the first two years of CENVIC, we've actually been trying to work out who we are and what we do and how we can make a difference, you know, because partly we're a network. So we're a community trying to share Intel and understanding of how we do our jobs well. Um, And we're also a peak body. So we're being a voice for an alternative way that we can organize business and, and work together. And so we find ourselves in that gap between business and charities saying there's a different world here and we're just trying to make sense of it. Uh, So it, it, it took us a good two years to work out what's our theory of change. And a lot of that was informed by the sustainable development goals and recognising that our members are really focused on particular ones, like whether it's inclusive growth in the economy, uh, relieving poverty, um, gender inequality, the uh, circular economy and having sustainable development. They've all got their niche areas, um, and that's important because then they do it well. But for us as a network, what do we do? In a way, we are trying to create a community of all of those people wanting to make positive impact to channel their voice into a better world. And, um, you know, it, it, it's grasping those that diversity and seeing that as a strength, saying, well, that's why we're not just a sector. Um, so... Swinburne did a survey of the social enterprise sector in Victoria and saw that we contribute $5.2 billion to the economy, which is more than the airline industry, right? It is significant and we employ 60,000 people in Victoria. So we're just an invisible community, like an invisible community that is using business for good and holding that space and getting the attention of government and capital, and philanthropy, and saying, you know, don't think in just your traditional ways of supporting charities or supporting businesses. Think of social enterprise as this new new way forward. And so, you know, even within ourselves, it took some time to get that clear sense of identity. So really what we want is... That mindset to be open to a different way of doing business, a different way of doing charity work, um, and just seeing how uh, rather than a donation, which might go in and out, what social enterprise does is has sustainable solutions. And it is complicated. <laughs> it's complex. We do complex work. But if you're going to solve complex problems like poverty and homelessness and intergenerational disadvantage, marginalisation, you're going to have complex solutions. It just shows that it's an idea whose time has come. And um, there is a, a community of people there with expertise that would love to get more support. Very important work, Nick. Thank you for your
0: time. Thanks, Craig. That's Nick Viginas, CEO of Social Enterprise Network Victoria. And if you'd like to find out more about the work they're doing, you can visit senvic.org.au. Thanks for listening to Getting It Right. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, make sure you scroll back through your podcast app and check them out. There's plenty of inspiring stories about hiring, buying, and working with purpose that you don't want to miss. And to make sure you don't miss the upcoming episodes, hit follow in your podcast app while you're there. Getting It Right is a Jobs Bank podcast produced by Deadset Studios and hosted by me, Craig Foster.